You can turn your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 10, verses 16 through 33 this morning, and the text is there on the next page of the bulletin also. Um, Jesus is sending out his disciples here to extend his own ministry into the towns of Galilee, particularly the Jewish towns and villages of uh, Galilee, to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It's this reality-defining truth that God has come to be with us in Jesus. That's what he's sending his disciples out to uh, talk about. And so he's giving them now uh, here this sort of the rally the troops speech. Uh, right, You know, when the, the king or the general rides out in front of the gathered ranks of his army <clears throat> on the brink of battle with inspiring words, calling forth their courage for the fight, for the battle. Only this is quite unlike uh, other rally the troops speeches. Uh, we've already heard Jesus' you know, sort of crazy talk in the Beatitudes that those who are persecuted for his sake are blessed. They're happy. They're joyful with God's own joy uh, because of the fact that they're persecuted for his sake. And now he's saying that he's knowingly sending his disciples into persecution. He's saying they should anticipate physical violence from the authorities of the places where they go. He's, he's promising them that they will suffer. Uh, not that they'll live some great victorious life of, uh, free of suffering. He says that even their own family members will betray them to death. That they'll be hated by all for his name's sake. And he says... They're to be wise about all of this, uh, yet they're to remain harmless and even vulnerable through all of this. They're to go forth with a message that nobody wants to hear, and they are to fear nothing and fear no one except their Father who's in heaven. <clears throat> so I'm not sure about you, but I think if I were hearing this rally the troops speech for the first time, <laughs> uh, just before being sent out into hostile territory, I would feel gutted. I'd feel disoriented, at least. And I would need to wrestle. I do need to wrestle with what he is saying because I am afraid. And fear would prevent me from going out to do what he says. We are afraid to face hostility for Jesus' sake. And he calls us not to be afraid. And there's no quick psychological trick to just turn off that fear. We need to wrestle with Jesus. We need to hear what he's saying. And we need to face some pretty tough realities uh, square on. So let's try to do some of that this morning. Let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. Father, be merciful to us. Help us to hear these words of the Lord Jesus and truly to wrestle with what he's saying in the spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. So if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? <clears throat> so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, when Jesus sent out his disciples here, he gave them instructions. They're specific to that particular moment. But in ways, uh, in in some ways, uh, this also looks ahead to their continuing mission, right? So, for example, uh, right at that very moment in Galilee, they weren't going to be dragged before governors and kings. But this is something that we do see happening in the book of Acts after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And Jesus has already told them that they're to focus their ministry on the Jews, but here he says, you know, they will eventually bear witness to him before the Gentiles. So Jesus is preparing them for the long term. And we're in the long term. So what Jesus is saying will apply to his people in this world until he returns, and that means it applies to us. It's not that every single Christian will be dragged in front of government officials or flogged or have their parents or their children or their siblings betray them to death. But this is the general reception that the church can expect to find as we are a people who are associated with Jesus and a people who go about proclaiming the name of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus in this world. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, maybe not all sinners think I just have this vicious hatred for Jesus or for his people, but there is an enmity between sinners and Jesus. Sinners hate being told that Jesus is Lord, and they're not. Jesus is Lord, and they're they're subject to his will. Sinners hate being called to repentance. They hate the suggestion that Their way of life is wrong and needs to change. And they wind up hating us because we're the messengers of these things now. They wind up hating us because we represent to them their relationship with God because we speak the word of God on his behalf. We represent to them the, the reality that their relationship with God is broken because of their sin. In the church, because of our relationship to Jesus, we have repented of the ways of this world, we've embraced the ways of the true king, and so because we belong to his kingdom now, there's this enmity that exists not just between the world and Jesus, but between the world and us. It's the same enmity that exists between Jesus himself 
And the world is defined by that rebellion, by that sin against God, right? It's, this is not a symmetrical uh, enmity that we're talking about. It doesn't look the same from both sides. Both sides don't equally hate each other and want to destroy each other in this enmity between Jesus and the world. Uh, even though the world's in rebellion against God and wants to set up its own autonomous kingdom apart from God, God loves the world, and he sent his son into the world to give himself for the life of the world. So God does oppose the world in its sin, but he does so for its good and because he loves. But the world, on the other hand, opposes God because it hates God and it hates his ways. God opposes the sin of the world because he wants us to be with him. The world opposes God because it wants to be rid of him. So it's an asymmetrical enmity that we're talking about. This is the enmity Jesus experienced during his time on the ground. He served and he blessed and he was met with rejection. He called people to repentance for the sake of receiving them into his kingdom. But the kingdoms and powers of this world conspired against his life. He came to extend the free gift of eternal life to sinners, but sinners sought his death. He wants life for us. We want his death. When we join him in his kingdom... When you become Christians, you're baptized into the family, the household of God, then we're saying that he is the one true king of heaven. There is no other. We're saying that we want to stand for everything that he stands for. We're adopting all his ways as our ways. We're so aligning ourselves with him that whatever is true of him and his relationship with God, we say we want that to be true of us too. And also, whatever is true of him and his relation to the world. That'll be true of us, too. And this is why we can expect to face the same enmity that he faced. He says himself, why should the disciple expect anything different than to become like his teacher through his association with his teacher? If we consider it the highest, most glorious blessing to participate in the life of Christ, if our greatest goal would be to become more like him than We should be aware of what this means in a world that is defined by hostility toward him. It means suffering and death at the hands of other people who were created in God's image, who were meant to love us. Even our closest family members will become hostile toward us because of our relationship with Jesus, because of our allegiance to Jesus. And for us, this enmity will also be asymmetrical, just as it was for the Lord Jesus himself. We face the challenge of the world's hatred while the world should face the challenge of our love in the name of Christ. Challenging each other in different ways for different purposes. He sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He doesn't train us to become as vicious as wolves ourselves. He doesn't seek to harden us against the attacks of wolves. He doesn't want us to become more frightening than our opponents. He sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The world is driven by its hatred of God, which leads them to things like violence and abuse and tyrannical oppression and terrorism. But we are compelled by the sacrificial love of Christ. We're not compelled by hatred. We're compelled by love, the love of Christ himself, which leads to a life that actually is open to suffering. So he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
uh, <clears throat> wise as serpents. You know, in Genesis 3, uh, when it's first introducing that evil serpent, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. So that's a fine aspect of the serpent to be embraced, right? But the deadly dangerous aspect of the serpent is not to be embraced. The dove, the dove is merely a beautiful, peaceful creature with no attack of its own. It's harmless, which makes it vulnerable in a world of predators. So yes, beware of men, Jesus says. Know that they'll try to trap you in your words, just as they did with him. Know that they will betray you, just as they did with him. Be perceptive and thoughtful and fully aware of the hostility of the world. Understand the dangerous reality of sin that's at the core of people who are opposed to God. Don't be shocked or dismayed by conflict. Be ready for it. But not in order to prepare your counterattack or your battle strategies. You must be prepared to face an enemy that hates you and to respond like doves, to respond with love and with mercy and with prayer and with sacrifice. You're called to live in the midst of a world of predators with all the gentleness and helplessness of sheep. And in a sense, uh, you are to make yourself even more vulnerable through the proclamation of the gospel. Right? So sheep have no defenses. They have no attack. Uh, so you would think that if they're surrounded by wolves, the best strategy for them would be to keep silent and hide in tall grass. But Jesus is telling us not to be invisible, but to bleat loudly, to give away our position, to tell people about the king and his ways, to call them to repentance. So Heinrich Vogel uh, was a pastor during World War II in Germany. He said that all who confess the name of Christ are called to a path which is no longer one of safety. All who confess the name of Christ are called to a path which is no longer one of safety. Jesus is fully aware that he's sending us into this danger. He's telling us to declare a message that angers and attracts the attention of powerful predators. And he tells us to be aware of that reality, but not to fear it. He says over and over again, have no fear of them. Jesus would set us free from fearing other people's response to him. So this is the point at which there's nothing for us to do but actually face our fears because we're afraid of pain, we're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of opposition and conflict and persecution, we're afraid of other people. That's just the way that it is. That's the reality for us. And if these fears rule us, then we will keep our mouths shut. We'll play the popularity game. If we played the popularity game, we'd be safe. If we, if we played the popularity game, we'd have a bigger church. We'll go along to get along. We won't rock the boat. We won't talk about Jesus and his kingdom in difficult ways. But if we do keep our mouths shut, then we disobey the Lord who commands us to speak. That's the simple and straightforward truth of it. If we're ruled by our fears then we're not ruled by Jesus Christ. If we're not set free from our fears through our relationship with him, then we're still enslaved to our fears, and he, he hasn't set us free. 
And there's no comfortable way to navigate this. Either we embrace Jesus and his ways, which leads to inevitable suffering, or we're embarrassed by Jesus and his ways, which leads to inevitable suffering. Either we fear sinners or we fear God. Jesus invites us to face this reality, to wrestle with him about these fears, and ultimately to be free of our fear of others in order to truly fear God alone. So let's wrestle. You've got to do this on a regular basis. Wrestle with God about your fears. These fears are so deep, they're so instinctive, that we hardly ever even face them or detect them in ourselves or name them. It's easy to go through life without really being aware of our fears. But let's face our fears in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are we afraid of conflict? Why are we afraid of rejection or humiliation or persecution? We are afraid of those things. Why? Because we're afraid of pain, physical pain, relational pain, psychological anguish. We're afraid that the pain will overwhelm us and that the pain will last forever and that the pain will come to define our lives. And we're just not interested in a life of pain. We're afraid to lose ourselves in the pain. Ultimately, suffering, the suffering that we're afraid of, represents something to us. It represents the reality of death. And we're afraid of death. We're afraid that we're going to be robbed of life. So Jesus says in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So Jesus exposes the roots of our fears to be the fear of death. But Jesus says, if you really understood what life is, if you really feared death for what God knows it to be, then you would fear God rather than fearing all the hatred of the world. You would fear God. The worst your enemies in this world can do is kill your body. Yes, they can do that. And that would hurt. But that's not truly the worst thing that could happen to you. That's not the fullest, truest death as the word of God defines it. The worst thing that could happen would be spiritual death. That's, that's separation from God. That's the way scriptures talk about death, is separation from God. Eternal, relational separation from the God who is life himself. So fear the true death. That means separation from God. That's what you should fear if you're going to fear anything. <clears throat> fear the God who has power over eternal life and eternal death, spiritual life, spiritual death. And fearing him is different from fearing enemies in this world. Fearing the world makes you cowardly. Fearing the world makes you paranoid. Fearing the Lord sets you free from other fears. It makes you courageous in your love. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. So these fears, they are mutually exclusive, which means they're different kinds of fears. Because when you fear God, you fear the one who has proved that he's not your enemy. When you fear God, you fear the one who's proved that he is, in fact, your good father. When you fear God, you fear the one who truly loves you. You fear the one whose love and presence with you means your life. 
and whose absence, your separation, would mean death. When you fear God, you fear the sovereign Father who does allow the suffering of rejection into your life, but only so that you can know his love and his presence through it. When you fear God, it doesn't lead to insecurity. The fear of God leads you to the only true security that could possibly exist. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus teaches us that the father intimately knows the details of the lives of all of his creatures, even the relatively insignificant ones like sparrows. He's always attentive to them. He's always mindful of them. He is with every single one that falls out of the sky. In the same way, he knows every detail of your life, even down to the seemingly uncountable number of the hairs on your head. He is paying closer attention to you than you could possibly pay to yourself. He cares for you more than you care for yourself, better than you're able to care for yourself. And you are his special creation of more value than sparrows, than flocks of sparrows. You are in a special, unique relationship with him. He's not father to sparrows or to any other creature, but he is your father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. He is your father who has promised never to leave you or forsake you, to be with you, to be closer to you than even your own breath. So if he is with you, what else matters? If he's with you, who can be against you? Knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life that costs the sacrifice of the Son of God, the will of the Father to make you his beloved child through faith in Jesus, knowing this gospel, what is there to fear? Whom else is there to fear? Because no one can take this away from you. The only thing to fear would be to be separated from his love, but we know that nothing can separate us from his love, not even the death of the body. So there's nothing to fear. There literally is nothing to fear. Enemies in this world cannot separate us from true life with God, so there's nothing to fear from them. If enemies cause us pain, God is with us in our pain. If enemies persecute us, we share in the persecution of Christ himself. If enemies kill us, God is with us in our death. And if God is with us, it isn't death. Not truly. If enemies hate us for the sake of Christ and act out of their hatred, then we only find in every way that we have fellowship with Christ in it, which is life. That's true life. That's eternal life. If we deny the Lord, if we doubt him, disbelieve him, disobey him, distance ourselves from him without true repentance and faith, then what we're doing is we're choosing death. True saving faith might falter, indeed, like uh, Peter, who denied his Lord. But the Lord's grace is sufficient to restore his people when that happens. But true faith that acknowledges Jesus, that confesses and proclaims Jesus to the world, it means salvation and freedom and fearlessness in love because we are claiming the gift that he has given to us. We're claiming his association. We're claiming his fellowship. We're claiming a relationship with Jesus on his terms. He's the one who defines for us what a relationship with him will look like. 
We're claiming that relationship on his terms. We're claiming that this relationship is more important to us than anything, claiming that the loss of this relationship would be the worst thing that we should fear. But that the free gift of this relationship by his grace is the best thing, and it's the most secure thing. Jesus was not ashamed of his relationship with the Father. He acknowledged and confessed and proclaimed the Father before the world. He did this without fearing what people would do to him. Even though he knew that they would do terrible things, he met their enmity, he met their hatred with love, with mercy, with prayer, with a willing sacrifice. His relationship with the Father was the most important thing to him. He feared God truly, and he entrusted himself to his Father's care, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep in the midst of wolves. He hung on the cross there with everyone calling for his blood, but he was not afraid. And we have his spirit, his own faithful life, alive in us. Paul writes to Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we might face the same things that Jesus faced in this world, but what is there to fear about that? That's exactly what we want as his people, to face the same things that he faced in this world, to know him more deeply through it, to be able to relate to him, even in sufferings like his, so that we might relate to him in a resurrection like his. When we're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves, we're going in his way. It's the way that he himself has taken. When we're wise as serpents and innocent as doves, when we see the dangers and remain vulnerable for love's sake, when we know that the world hates us and still proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, then we're following the master who's gone before us. That's where we want to be. What is there to fear in suffering for his name's sake when such suffering is always an opportunity for us to share in his life? An opportunity for the eternal life of communion with the Son of God. To fear suffering at the hands of the enemies of God in this world means that we believe we could be robbed of true life with God. But the Father's promise that he'll always be with us in the suffering, that nothing can rob us of true life with him. So have no fear of them. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know that we have fears about following you and proclaiming your kingdom. We pray that you'd help us to rest assured that fellowship with you is true life. Even if that fellowship takes us into dangerous or painful places in this world. We pray that you'd give us your spirit to fix our eyes utterly on you, Lord Jesus, so that we would have the courage to confess you and to celebrate you before this world. You're the only one who can help us to endure to the end. You're our only hope in this life and in the next. So we pray that you would have mercy on us because we're weak. Free our hearts from fear and open our lips. We pray in your name. Amen.